Right after I graduated high school, I got a job working for a company called Norwell Dairy Systems. And uh, I went around all southern Ontario for about two years. And I was in scores and scores and scores of barns installing rubber mats in Holstein barns. Now, I'm a city slicker. I've never lived in the country or worked on a farm. So this was just an incredible experience, an incredible, incredible learning experience. And one of the things I discovered really early on was I was really bothered by the mess. I was bothered by how the mess got on me, bothered how the mess got on my tools, got on the van. And I realized that after just a few days, really, of working there, that I started trying to make efforts to minimize the mess. I didn't want a lot of mess on the tools. And it was sort of like this futile exercise. I was distracted by it. I was bothered by it. I was annoyed by it. But the cowboy that I worked with uh, he was not, not phased by the mess. Uh, he was unfazed. He understood the mess. He'd grown up on a farm. He was around the mess. And most importantly, he valued the benefits that come with that mess. He understood that on the other side of that mess was a massive harvest or, 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 uh, or uh, benefits or income, or what, what have you. He, un- he understood the whole thing. He was unfazed by it, was not bothered by it. Here I was going to work and trying to avoid the mess, and here he was realizing that, you know what, what's coming on the other side of this is totally worth the mess. The text for this morning is all about the mess and how we think about the mess. It's Proverbs chapter 4, verse 4. Let's read it together. Where there are no oxen... The trough is clean, but an abundant harvest comes by the strength of the ox. This is God's word. Now, this proverb, like all proverbs, it invites us to meditate uh, on it and, 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 and chew it thoroughly and think about it and consider the, you know, the multiple applications that there are for this in our lives and you can think about this, and you can meditate on it, and you can really apply this to your life very personally. Uh, so what I'm going to do this morning is, I'm, it's impossible for me to preach this in a way that lands with you, you know, personally, individually. But what I can do is I can teach this categorically. So we're going to unpack this in a couple different categories to give you a framework to begin to apply this to your life very, very personally. Uh, there's, there's three, three categories I want us to explore this morning. Uh, the first is actually the immediate context of this proverb, which is vocational. The second category is relational. And the final category is missional. That's actually where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. The other two are just as significant. Uh, but before we get into those applications, vocational, relational, missional, um, I want us to think about what is this proverb really saying, just in its the most bare, plain, simple, most basic sense. Where there's no ox in the trough is clean, but an abundant harvest comes by the strength of an ox. There are investments you can make that are going to bring great benefits to your life. But those, be- but those investments are going to bring a very messy process. This is what this is saying to us. There's an investment that could be made. And it's beneficial to make that investment. But as soon as you make that investment, some mess is coming. 
So that begs a few questions, doesn't it? It begs, do I see the benefit? Do I see the harvest? Do I value it enough to make the investment and endure the mess that's going to come with that investment? And in its most basic sense, this is kind of what this proverb is inviting us to uh, consider. Because if I cannot see the things that God's word, the wisdom of God's word, tells me are a benefit to my life, will be a benefit. If I can't see the benefit, if I don't see it as a harvest, if I don't see it as a good thing, there is absolutely no way I am going to uh, have the patience or the resilience for the messy process that is inevitably coming. So let's look at the first application. The first application is contextual and it is vocational. Um, The immediate context is that the ox is a good business investment. The ox is a good tool. The ox represents um, more work and a messy process, but a tremendous benefit. Those of you who uh, are perhaps entrepreneurs or started you run your own companies, then you understand you're constantly having conversations about the kind of oxen you're gonna willing to have in your life. Cost-benefit analysis, the process that comes. I mean, we can expand and we can have more staff, but that brings more mess. But the benefit is better. And this is the immediate sort of vocational application of this. Um, at the end of the day, it's better to have an ox than to go out into your field and do everything by hand. But it's arguably cleaner to do everything by hand. Simpler not to have to deal with this thing called other human beings. So this is the dilemma. Uh, The proverb is practical. What investments can I make in my life right now? They're going to have a harvest later, but they're going to inevitably have this, this mess to come with them. And so before I can really turn to God and ask God for the wisdom and the clarity and the, and the trust in him, before I go and make practical decisions and practical investments, investing in tools, investing in, in study, investing in education, investing in staff, investing in all these practical things, before I can even turn to God and say, oh God, would you guide me through this, I have to see the benefit of it, or there's no way I'm going to have the endurance or the resilience for the mess that is inevitably coming my way. So that's the first sort of practical vocational application. The second one is relational. So after the vocational, I consider the relational. Um, relationships require constant investment. Relationships require constant feeding. And relationships are messy. But the only way for relationships to flourish is with constant willingness to invest. And so if I don't see relationships uh, as beneficial in my life, and I don't want them to be rich and deep and meaningful and flourish, if I'm not willing to make the kind of sacrifices that are required for relationships that are, that are you know, not just one inch deep, the difficult conversations, all the mess and the process that comes, there's no way I'm, gonna, I'm going to be willing to endure uh, the, all of the things that it requires um, for those relationships to flourish. There's definitely a lot of messiness in relationships as it comes to what it's asking of us to sacrifice and adjust and flex and change. If you have children, you understand this. If you are married, you understand this. If you are single, you understand this. Because you inevitably have relationships in your life. The only way for those things to remain alive and flourish and have a harvest and bear fruit is to continually invest. And sometimes that investment is messy. And if you're not willing to do that, if you say, well, I would like to have a very clean and tidy, sanitized life. I don't want drama. Well, then what you're going to end up having is a very clean trough. In other words, you're probably going to be kind 
to people that you're not going to be close to any people. And this is the challenge of the messiness that comes with the investment of relationships. The process is messy, but, it, but the harvest of the things that God says are going to be a wise benefit and a blessing to our life, then the process is worth it. But the question is, can we see the process is worth it? And so the first application is vocational. This, and, and, and I'm just scratching the surface here very intentionally, but it's vocational. We can really think that through in terms of our career paths and our vocations, the investments we're willing to make. Secondly is relational. What relationships do I have in my life that are drying up because I am frankly not willing to make the investment because I just don't want the drama? These are things that we struggle with. But the final application, the final context that I want us to think about um, and be encouraged by, and don't worry, we're going to get to the gospel, because if I was to just break this out practically and then say the word of the Lord, that would be a, a, a good sermon in terms of breaking it out and thinking thoughtfully, historically, and contextually about what this proverb means, but it would not be particularly encouraging. So don't worry, we're going to get to the scandalous grace of Jesus before this is over. But before we get to the goodness of Jesus, we've got to just think deeply about what this is provoking here. So I want to talk about the application of this that is missional. Oxen are laborers. That's what they do. Uh, oxen went out into the field. They still go out into the field in many places in the world, and they bring in the harvest. That's their job. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers out into his harvest. Oh my goodness, did our pastor just call us oxen? Now, I'm no farmer, but I don't think sheep bring in the harvest. So I think there's an important metaphor for us to consider here. The oxen are laborers, man. They work. They're not afraid of the mess. They're not afraid of getting their hooves dirty. They're willing to work. But Jesus said that. He also said in Matthew, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I'm no farmer, but I don't think sheep wear yokes. There's a really interesting metaphor about the oxen here. Church, I want us to think about this. Where there are no oxen, the trough is clean, but an abundant of harvest, it comes by the strength of an ox. We are the oxen, church. We're the ministers. If we don't want drama in our lives, we don't want to roll our sleeves up, don't worry. This is not a soul of bootstraps a sermon. You're not saving yourself by any of this. Stay with me. If we're unwilling to deal with the mess, we just want clean and tidy everything, there's no harvest. Um, We're the ministers. We're the ones that are yoked to Jesus. And that yoke is easy and light. Not knuckle-dragging. Because by His grace, it continues to do glorious things in and through us. But we're we're the oxen. The Lord of the harvest draws in his harvest through his church. And the process of committing to each other in this room, as the church, investing in relationships, caring about each other's needs, caring about each other's kids, right? Um, 
loving each other when we show each other our ugly sides. The church is messy. The church is a messy feeding trough. Every church is a messy feeding trough. But that's how the harvest gets done. That's how the Lord of the harvest does it. That's how he's always done it. And it's worked out pretty good so far. The Lord of the harvest draws in his harvest through his laborers, through his church. And with that comes a little bit of mess. And if you've been at Redeemer for any length of time, we have our share of mess. If you're new to Redeemer and you're like, oh my goodness, this is such a great church. It's Christ-centered and we're preaching about Jesus and we love you. We want to do mission. Oh my goodness, great. Just give it time. Give it time. If I haven't offended you yet, give it time. The stubborn ox in the pulpit preaching to stubborn oxes in the pew. How do you all think this is going to go down? There's going to be some mess. But the harvest is worth it. The work that the Lord does through us, absolutely worth it. This last two years, very messy. Would you agree? I mean, the last two years, very messy. Separated in our homes for a little season there. Gathering around bonfires, going for walks, trying to get creative so we could see each other. We're doing Bible studies over Zoom. And we're out in a tent. And now we're inside with this ridiculous service time. We have equipment downtown Kitchener and in my garage and up there in that storage room. What a mess. We have been navigating different views on how the church ought to operate through the pandemic. How the elders and I have led through the pandemic. And then you have conversations with people and you realize, oh my goodness, we don't all agree on all of these things. Messy. What a mess. What a messy feeding trough. And then we've had challenging conversations as we try and navigate one another's opinions and views and comfort levels and we try to be gracious, but it's messy. And now we're in an election, so that's good as well. Because I don't know if you know this, but the people all sitting around you, probably not all voting the same way you vote. Now I know this is the time of year where pastors go up on the mountain and they hear from God and then they come down and then they, they, they tell the church how they ought to vote because that's the, the team Jesus is on. Uh, we don't do that here. And so it can be a mess. There's a constant opportunity for mess. The question is, oh my goodness, is all of this mess really worth it? Sunday, August 22nd, 2021, out there in that grass, baptisms. Christ is preached. People are coming to faith in Christ. Believers are baptized. Disciples are being made. Worth it. Worth it. And so, this is what we have to keep in view in this messy thing called KW Redeemer that we have here. I mean, it's beautiful and wonderful, also messy. You know, when the pandemic first caused the world to melt, in March of 2020. Uh, well, I mean, I, I know it was before then, but when it kind of hit us in southern Ontario in a big way. Um, I started getting emails from different companies whose uh, their job was software to help churches in various ways go digital. And we purchased some of that software, and it's been very helpful. It's been good. But some of those companies had these overzealous marketers 
who are sending me emails like this, that sounded like this. This was the tone. Pastor, the future of the church is online. Are you ready? Digital church, roll out. That was the, that was the whole vibe. Whoa, get ready. It's going to be digital church. That's the future. And I looked at those emails and I thought to myself, well, I won't say what I thought, but the sanitized version was like, oh my goodness, um, what a great marketing strategy and what horrific theology. No, the future is not this sanit... Because if, if, if the future of the church was, hey, me in my comfortable space with my latte and my app and I just open the service when I want to and I close the service when I want to and I don't got to deal with your drama or your drama or your drama or drama. I just live in isolation in an individual spiritual reality. That is not Christian faith. That is a sanitized, empty feeding trough. So praise God for technology, including the horrific thing that we've all learned to hate, Zoom. But thank God for that manna. But the, but the future is not me just in my own little space with my own, my own little vibe turning the church on and off as I please. But you know, you don't have to be you know, online only and kind of separate yourself from the messiness of human beings to sort of have that idea. We can be here gathered, but sort of kind of keep everybody at arm's length and say, I want to relate to everybody in such a way that I keep my, the, 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 the trough of my life you know, clean, so to speak, so that I've got this Pinterest perfect uh, situation. And... The only way for people to get into my life is if they crack into my airtight schedule where I've got at the very top of the hierarchy of my existence, self-care. If we relate to the church that way with sort of this casual sort of, well, if it works out, then maybe I'll be a part of what's going on. Well, that's one way to keep your life clean, but that's another way for there not to be much harvest. And I'm talking about, and there's a, there's a real depth here that I want to get to as it relates to this harvest. Because we might be asking ourselves, why though? Why is this necessary? Why must we deal with the mess? <laughs> why can't I just do online church and just do my own thing and keep my sanitized life? Why can't I do that? Here's why. Because the Lord of the harvest, who's doing the work of sending his laborers out into the harvest, he, church, he's not just doing work through you and I. It's in all this messiness and working it out that he does work in you and I. The work that the Spirit wants to do in you is only possible if you are willing to make an investment and go through life with all the messy people sitting around you. If you're unwilling to do that, there is harvest, fruit, benefit in you that is not going to accomplish, the Spirit does not accomplish it in isolation. You can't just sit back in an academic sense and listen to theological lectures and grow as a Christian. You'll grow, you'll grow intellectually and academically, but you will not grow spiritually, and that will not manifest in spiritual maturity, because maturity looks like being willing to go through the mess so that you can love your neighbor and the people sitting around you, so that by God's grace we are ministers in this city, so that through us he continues to do work. But he only does work through us to the degree that he's continually doing work deeply in us. You see, the Son of God referred to laborers going out into a harvest of souls, but the Spirit of God 
You know, he labors to bring a harvest of renewal in our souls. What is this harvest I'm talking about? I keep using that word, harvest, harvest. What is it? You know, the Apostle Paul articulates that harvest very clearly in Galatians. What does he want to do in you that he can't do unless you're willing to be connected to the mess in this room? Produce love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Apart from like a real genuine, messy love and care in the community, the Spirit of God, with us in isolation or arm's length way of relating to one another, cannot produce love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, because those things are all manifested as you're going through life with others. And so... We commit to each other. We are connected as a church to each other. And it's messy. And if the Lord of the harvest is sending us into the harvest, and the harvest only comes by investing our lives with each other, and and I've already established it's going to be unavoidably messy, um, how do we muster the patience and the resilience to love and care for each other? How do we muster up the, the, the desire to minister to one another when we experience each other's mess? When I let you down, which I inevitably will. I, if you've been here at Redeemer for any length of time, I've already done it. How? How do we get, where do we get the strength? What are we going to do when we experience the mess? Answer. By regularly turning to the God who came into humanity's mess. Yes, KW Redeemer is like a messy feeding trough. Yes, your life and my life and the people sitting around you, there are times and seasons where our life, what we're going through, it's like a messy feeding trough. Yes. But our God came in Jesus Christ to be born into a messy feeding trough. Our God is not afraid of our mess. He came and he was was born in it, literally. It's this glorious, unavoidable picture of the God willing to come into our mess. And you see, it is marveling at his grace, marveling at his goodness, marveling at his forgiveness, turning and worshiping and praying, the, the glorious formative power of our liturgy in us and in our children as they learn to turn to Him and to trust Him and to worship Him, this is where we get the strength to love one another in our mess when we look at Jesus Christ, the one born into our mess. It, Jesus did not abandon us when He went to the cross to pay for our mess. He's, he's not going to abandon you now. If He didn't abandon you at Calvary, He's not abandoning you now. And so when you look into the mirror and you realize, oh, my life is a bit of a mess. When you have an encounter here at Redeemer and it didn't go so well, and like that conversation was a bit of a mess. And we conclude that we're a bit of a mess. The good news of the gospel is true. The Lord who came and was born into our mess didn't abandon us then. He won't abandon us now. 
By God's grace, may we be faithful laborers, willing to love and care and invest in the lives of those sitting around us. And may his spirit have a, do a mighty harvest, working his fruit, the renewal, in us. And by God's grace, may we not be discouraged and become detached when we encounter each other's mess. May we, by God's grace, call each other to turn to the one who gives us strength, the one who came into our mess. By God's grace, may we go into the city as humble, confident, faithful ministers of the gospel so that the Lord of the harvest would continue his saving work through us, that he would draw others to find hope in Jesus Christ, the king who not only came to rescue us from the mess of sin and death, but the one who rose from the grave and the one who will return again to eradicate the world of sin and mess. May he be the object of our affection and may he strengthen our resolve, our love and care for each other and our ministry in the city as faithful ministers. Let's pray.